Hi there. A quick note before you start listening to this episode. As the podcast has evolved, we've come to focus more directly on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizational life. The episode you're currently listening to focuses more broadly on the topic of creating purposeful organizations. So if that's what you're after, then listen on. But if you're looking for more DEI-focused content, we suggest skipping forward a few episodes and looking for the ones titled Inclusion at Work. Happy listening. I guess my first immediate response to this is, well, you can't really afford not to because not to support your people in some of these fundamentals around mental health um, and resilience and um, uh, the the leaders themselves, um, we can pretty accurately predict that the health of your balance sheet over the next 12 months is going to decline, not improve. Do the foundations of leadership effectiveness still hold true in a crisis? In this episode of the Leaders for Good podcast, we speak with Christopher Patterson, founder of Alchemy, to answer that very question. We focus on the recent research conducted by Alchemy on the impact of COVID-19 on leadership effectiveness. We dive into the stats, their implications, and what organizations might do. Christopher is founding partner at Alchemy. He has a background in business psychology and specializes in behavior change on an individual and organizational level. It was a pleasure talking to Christopher, as always. Alchemy are a really values-aligned organization with Leaders for Good, and we have some collaboration projects in the works for 2021, which we're all very, very excited about. So watch this space. Now, without further ado, we bring you this conversation with Christopher Patterson. Christopher, would you like to just enlighten the audience? Who are you? What do you What do you do in the world? Um, and what is alchemy? Well, look, thanks for having me. Um, great to see you guys. Um, I always like working with you know good people doing good things, and so from the very first time that you know connected with you and and what you're doing, I'm I'm just very excited about uh, what your vision is and and what we're doing and 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 how that uh, how we can help each other. Um, mm. But look, it's it's great to be here on this podcast and and playing a role in talking to leaders and and to to staff about you know um, being the the best that they can be and and ultimately doing good. In, in the world, but mm. look at the centre of, of our story and, and and what's important to us is that we just love helping people, always have, and uh, when you're equally uh, fascinated by human beings and but also by business, uh, it's a very easy decision to make to get dedicate a career to uh, business psychology. Um, so not only does that gives us a really strong understanding and foundational understanding of the intersection between humans and business because you just can't have one without the other right mm. um, but also a really you know deep and strong understanding of the the variables that are going to facilitate our sustained success uh, but equally uh, the barriers and the blockages that get in our way and and hold us back and so armed with this knowledge um, we have this opportunity that we see as an absolute privilege uh, to help people at critical moments in their 
career and, and life. Mm. Um, and so I founded Alchemy 10 years ago uh, to help people uh, in and around these critical moments. And, and what, what, what are those critical moments? Well, look, that could be someone experiencing career transition, um, particularly as a result of role redundancy. Uh, or could it be a leader or a leadership group needing to lift to meet the changing needs of the organisation, um, particularly now, particularly now, mm. because no one's got all the answers. We're all doing our best, figuring it out, and so leaders need help and, and support. Um, but everything underpinned with wellness, which is something that we started having a look at really day one, because um, we'd always seen such a strong correlation between the decisions we make in terms of our lifestyle, in terms of our wellness, and ultimately the objectives and aspirations we're looking to achieve in everything. Mm. Role, career, life. And so we wanted to understand this correlation in, in, in intimately. Um, so it took us about a year, um, looking at the research, looking at the empiricals, doing our own field research, triangulating all of that doing the factor analysis, and that's where we landed on the six cylinders of wellness that you'll see on our website. Mm. Um, these are the six areas that we know that we need to be making good decisions if we're going to be at our best. And so ultimately that and the understanding of the neurology behind that and the causality behind that has not only helped us to facilitate well-being outcomes, but it's ultimately helped us to be better career coaches and helping people with the transition of life and better leadership coaches and mm. helping leaders to understand the neurology of leadership, the neurology of connecting, the neurology of communication, but ultimately um, how to look after themselves first. Mm. And that's an another one of those points where we overlap in terms of uh, you know ethos and practice. One of our you know practices of a, of a leader for good is the you know the focus on well-being of, of self and those around you for. Um, being able to show up to do the job of doing good in the world. So, um, yeah, it's another area we see eye to eye on. Mm, and I think also really unique in terms of your like, properly data-led and science-led approach to this stuff. A lot of people that are in the leadership development space, um, they just don't have that level of depth and rigour. So I think from the very start, when we started talking to you, we loved that. Yeah, and look, you know, it's an old adage that if it's not measured, it's not managed. Well, mm. we'd, we'd take one step further. For us, if we can't measure it, it doesn't exist. You know, so um, everything around the impact that we want to have on self, role, team and organisation, how do we measure that? And some people, you know, challenge us on that and say, well, some things you can't measure, like integrity or honesty, and we disagree. Mm. Um, anything that has an outcome, anything that has an impact, uh, you can measure. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, and it's something we face a lot because a lot of the stuff that we look at and you sort of talked about impact on self, team, organisation, and we try and extend that into society as well. That can make it even harder to measure, but there are absolutely ways to do it. You just have to really focus and put some serious headspace towards it. Yeah, and look, not, not to discount the fact that measuring um, what's important is very difficult mm -hmm. and we get a lot of pushback. Um, particularly from the HR community. Um, and I'll give you an example. We, we did a bit of research a couple of years ago about organisational and enterprise-wide wellness programs. Mm. And because we knew that there were a couple of elements that really differentiated organisations that were doing it well versus organisations with all the good intent but weren't mm. achieving the, the, the right impact or, or outcomes. And the HR community we surveyed scored themselves moderate to high in most categories, except one, 
um, and that was measurement. 17% of HR directors uh, could point to um, measuring and consistently measuring uh, the inputs and outputs of mm. their programs. So mm. we thought, okay, why? Let's, let's understand this. And so through some focus groups uh, with that network, it came down to, well, we don't want to send out another survey because yep. people don't want to do that. Um, we don't know what to measure because we're not experts in measurement. Um, so we can help with those. The third one was really interesting, and that was, well, we're not sure we're ready for the answers. Mm. Because if we ask what's going well and what's not going well, and people tell us this is what's not going well, then you know we're obligated to use that information to do good, to resolve issues, to give people the tools and resources they need to be able to change that 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 score. Um, and we get honest feedback to say, look, just where we're at right now, we don't have the burning platform, we don't have the will. <laughs> to be able to invest the type of time and resources going to take to to resolve for that. And I think while that's a harder one to resolve, I think that's in our position, that's one we sort of need to lean into and help with. Okay, how can we help you to influence? How can we help you to create the right environment for change? Mm. It's going to be hard, it's going to be messy, but how do we go forward with that discussion rather than take the resistance and say, well, it's too hard, so let's let's not measure. How do you how do you answer that to an organisation? What's the um, you know what's the what's the pushback or the, um, the the you know the question you ask back when when somebody says you know we're we're not ready to deal with the the consequences, which to me presupposes that they know there are things that you know need to be <laughs> need to be fixed or else there wouldn't be that nervousness. Um, yeah, is there any any particular road you go down there or is it just a live and let live? Yeah, so I'm a strong believer that um, rather than chase the complexity, mm. um, you, we stop and we go the other way and, and we create the simplicity. So, you know, we would be playing a role to help that organisation to break down the why. Um, what, are the, what are the variables? What are the factors? What are the barriers? Let's break it down into the granular pieces that we can understand. Um, and even if we're moving the ball down sort of five metres at a time, well, that's okay. Mm. That's okay but would rather be part of that conversation and helping you to create the right environment to nudge and to do small things. So rather than ch you know have a, a huge aspiration to facilitate organisational change before Christmas, well, let's break it down into a, the smallest part that we can nudge and we can help the organisation to do that, which ultimately then builds momentum for sustained change. And that applies not only to an organisation, but to an individual. The same applies to an individual who's got something really big ahead of them to, to resolve or a big aspiration to achieve. Uh, rather than focus on that and all its complexity, how do we help an individual to break it down into the micro chunk that you can build in the DNA of your, now, the DNA of your day now that ultimately um, creates the right environment for sustained change? Mm. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think, again, some real alignment on approaches there in terms of making things incremental change versus this sort of wholesale transformation, which we haven't really seen work in business, have we? Mm. <coughs> and w one thing you mentioned um, there as well about the organisations who are espousing, uh, you know, uh, this commitment to, I think it was wellness in, in, in the example you shared, but um, but not actually living it and it's not embedded in the organisation. 
<clears throat> something, excuse me, the frog in my throat, um, something we talk a lot about is the purpose gap. So, you know, we know um, from research that purpose-led organizations generally outperform the market by 40-something percent is the is the sort of stat that was given. And, um, you know, whether the, the, the statistics are pinpoint accurate, the, um, you know, the, the, the sentiment there is, is pretty clear to see. Um, and compound that with the fact that you know 80 something percent of organizations have a stated purpose that's that's altruistic and that's you know to be to do good for the world etc cetera, etc cetera, but only um is it 23 percent 24 yeah, 24 close. okay that's why i always go with 20 something again the, the the specifics aren't you know um aren't as important as the sentiment but the majority of those organizations haven't operationalized it so I think it speaks to this, um, you know, this journey organizations need to go on to if they are committed to things like well-being or purpose or, or whatever, fill in, fill in the blank. Um, a hollow promise, I think, in a lot of instances can be more damaging for culture. It can be more damaging for morale than um, than something that, you know, the, 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 the employees, the investors, the um, the customers can see an organization moving towards. So I love the uh, I love the approach of, OK, what, what's the what's the micro step? What's the what's the little thing that we can tweak and do to to start changing things? Great. So before we go on to talk about your research, which we got quite excited about, I mm. just want to quickly ask you, what do you see as the responsibility of business? Yeah, look, it's um, we, we see, I guess, the world in concentric circles from the self out. And so self, and then you can throw role in there, but definitely team, mm -hmm. then organisation, then community. And so, you know, value, and I guess good, flows up and down. And it's a completely integrated system um, with infinite um, integration points. And, and so, with, you know, you really got to see it as a, as a system and use systematic thinking to understand the role that each of those concentric circles have on, on the other. Um, but, I, you know, I would start with the individual, you know, because ultimately that's, that's, that's the core. Uh, but extending out from that, the organisation sits in this amazing nexus where they've got a collection of um, you know, human beings in one place with baked in commonality. The commonality that we're all here uh, on the task with it's a clearly identified purpose and mission and, and, uh, and um, uh, objective that we want to achieve um, or, or even organisations that have that poorly defined. It really doesn't matter in the sense that we are in this sense a tribe. You know, and we've all got huge common goals that we want to achieve. Mm. Um, well, that provides immediately an automatic platform for influence, um, not only through communication channels, but how you structure work, how you structure, um, you know, information. Um, and so the platform then the organisation has to connect with that outer ring of community, um, it's like it's on a multiplier effect. It's automatically scaled. Um, so, you know, we could see it as the task of speaking to individuals or we could see it as the task of speaking to organisations, uh, but if we ultimately want to get to that critical mass of mindset shifts, uh, the organisation provides us with that, you know, that, that, that scale and that scalability to be able to influence, um, you know, um, people very, very quickly. Um, but also are connected to meaning, purpose, something that's genuine, something that's real. Mm. Um, that gives us a very exciting opportunity to start to really shift the needle in our in our community quite quickly. Mm. 
So it's the it's the the effect of 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 the business on good at all of those concentric circles. Is that is that sort of a fair way of summing up what you what you shared? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. you've got you've got a captive audience. You've got you've got a a, a scaled um, power influence. Mm. Um, and I think you know most organisations understand that. Mm. I, I do believe that. Um, and I do believe that they do things because they're just fundamentally good, not because there's a ulterior that this will ultimately translate into uh, engagement or performance or productivity. Um, and look, I, we see that definitely in the wellness work where we get called in to support and help people. The companies that never call us in to say, hey, can you support our people so we can make them more productive? Mm. So I do fundamentally believe that they that that's what they um, that's what the opportunity is uh, to influence a group of organisations to ultimately uh, scale the impact that we want to have. Awesome. Um, now might be a good time to jump into the jump into the research. All this talk of um, data led approaches um, <laughs> has got me got me curious. Um, first of all, a little bit of framing. You know what what led you to what led you to conduct this research. What was the you know what was the hypothesis and what were you what were you looking to looking to test out there with um, with the with the with the survey you've done and um, yeah we'll go from there. Yeah, look, I'm very excited about I guess what we're learning and how that intersects with your model and the impact that that, that mm. you want to have on leaders because there's so much overlap. Mm, mm. Um, look, this year has been a fascinating year to be a business psychologist and, and leadership coach. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it has been one global experiment, and um, you know, one of the hypotheses that we had was, well, how robust are those fundamentals of leadership? You know, we've always said that the fundamentals of good leadership are pretty consistent. Mm. And, and I've had the privilege of doing this work for 25 years here in Australia, in Asia, India, uh, Europe and, and North America. And, and over time, uh, yeah, things have changed, particularly in the way that we connect using technology. Um, and in regions, you'll see some variations uh, and some cultural differences. But the fundamentals of great leadership and the fundamentals of great leaders have remained amazingly consistent. Mm. So this year, you know, we wanted to use this opportunity of a, of, a, of a global experiment to say, well, you know, how robust are they in it to this event? And so one of the hypotheses going in is does effective leadership and those fundamentals hold true mm. even in a crisis like this? Mm. Um, and I'm pleased to report that they do. Mm. Um, the leaders that went into this event rated as highly effective remained highly effective. And they did so through you know, a, a suite of just really fundamental uh, leadership behaviors. They didn't do anything that was inherently complex mm -hmm. or advanced. There was no secret source. They just did the fundamentals and the basics consistently well. And what are those fundamentals? If you could sort of give us the short list. Yeah, so look, um, for the full report, you know, love people to check out the website or the the, um, the LinkedIn profile. But Links to all that in the show notes, of Fantastic. course. Yeah. yeah, look, you know, we've gone into a bit of depth because ultimately what we want to do with this information is to help leaders to pinpoint what are the specific things that I could do uh, to be an effective leader to mm -hmm. to um, to boost engagement and, and resilience. So what we did is we took those items and we correlated them to staff engagement and staff resilience. Mm. So what were the specific behaviours that led to more engaged teams and um, and more resilient teams? Um, and the correlations were, you know, 
pretty outstanding. It surprised us, um, 0.4 to 0.7 for the statisticians in the audience. Um, but they were grouped around four areas. The first one was managing self. The leaders that were taking the time to look after their own energy, uh, to look after their own reserves, um, and how that translated into how they show up and how they communicate. Um, the second category was around connecting. Not just connecting with staff, but creating an environment for staff to connect with each other. Mm. It was this whole feedback around, I feel connected, or my leader has facilitated an environment for me to connect with the organisation, for me to connect with my peers. So there's this whole role around connecting. The third was around uh, systems. So cr um, adapting and creating the right systems and processes to be able to to respond and being clear about organisational uh, structures and, and, and restructures when they happen. Um, the fourth one, uh, mind you, the first three were part of our hypothesis, the part of the model. We, yep. we figured that self first, then connecting, then some, some organisational things. Sure. The fourth one was a surprise, the strength of the innovation agenda. Mm. The strength... Yeah, so leaders who were not only coming up with ideas, but what they were doing is that they were creating the right environment for the staff to come up with the ideas. They were encouraging ideas and they were rewarding ideas. Ideas for how we operate as a business, but particularly how we interact with customers and the market. Mm. So the strength of that innovation agenda was a really welcome surprise and, and an opportunity for leaders not just to survive 2020, but use this as a moment to rethink and reshape the way that we work and, and reshape the way we think about our customers and, and the market. Mm. The, the, that list seems intuitively on the, on the money as you shared it. I was just nodding along and, um, you know, the, the, the fourth one, the fourth one if, if you dig into it and you think about the, the responsibility or the need for businesses to respond differently, to, to change their operating model, to, to change how they served customers, to change how they, they fulfilled their supply chain, um, the innovation agenda, obviously important on that level, but also providing a, uh, a beacon for the people, for their people to rally around and go, oh, we, we are doing something to, to mitigate this. We are, we are dealing with this crisis and we are, we are innovating. We're not just kind of sitting still and letting the mm. letting the world kind of buffer at our um you know our castle walls um my question being the first three you shared and i suppose all, all four was the uh, was there any particular weighting to those and did we see the did you see the weight was was the um, the importance of one or the other kind of higher because they all seem fairly critical um and has that changed pre and post covid in in any fashion that you know yeah, I guess there's, there's two parts to that question. Um, the correlations were evenly distributed across those four. Mm. Um, so it's not either an or, it's 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 all. Um, there were a couple of super items that both correlated to um, engagement and resilience. A and one of this was around um, encouraging staff to offer new and original ideas for customers. Mm. Um, another one was building trust through words and actions. Uh, and the third one was being proactive about improving systems and processes. So these are three items that if we can get leaders just to do those consistently well, we can anticipate that we're going to have both more engaged teams and, 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 and higher resilience. Um, the link between innovation and resilience I found really interesting. Mm. You know, in creating the right environment for ideas to flow, um, including concerns, um, 
you know, created a, a, a higher resilience. Um, the second part of the question um, uh, got us thinking about how have things changed through the year. And what we did find very strongly is that early pandemic, there was a spike in leadership support mm. and leadership focus um, around most of, of these elements. Um, that dropped off significantly in what we'd probably call the late pandemic, which mm. is the last three months. Mm -hmm. um, and so while there's some really good news around leadership effectiveness of being able to identify what are the specific things that a leader can do um, to, to be effective and to boost engagement and resilience, the overall picture was, was more challenging. The overall picture showed uh, an overall decrease in leadership effectiveness as leaders that were rated as average were now rated as ineffective and ineffective leaders were rated as highly ineffective. Um, and the highly ineffective rate went from sort of zero to over 10% quite quickly. Mm. Wow. And so it's a, you know, just a reminder that good is good is good. And if you're doing it early pandemic, and then we experienced a bit of pandemic fatigue and some of those really basic fundamentals dropped off. Um, you know, that's the reminder and the lesson. Um, we know how to do these things. Yep. It's about consistency, not just in 2020, but 21, 22 and ongoing. So I'd be very much encouraging leaders, um, you know, to build their own um, uh, style and approach around these things, but build it into the DNA of their day, build it into something that they, just part of what they do, rather than something they have to remember to do. Mm. And I think that whole area around fatigue is something so important and so interesting. And back to your point around taking care of yourself first, because I presume leaders, believing that everyone is inherently good, I presume leaders aren't deliberately trying to let some of this stuff slide, but obviously are facing potential challenges themselves. What is your advice to leaders that have a lot of responsibility at a time like this? How do they really look after themselves? How do they make sure they're able to continue to embody these leadership behaviours? Yeah, and I'd, I'd just add to that that I was fascinated that um, the leader's energy reserves strongly correlated to staff resilience. If you've got a leader who maintains high energy, um, and what that does to the way that you were all showing up and, and, and uh, it, it was highly correlated to, to staff resilience. Um, look, in, in terms of the, in answering your question directly, um, you know, I always get my leaders to start with those six cylinders. Um, you know, it is sleep, nutrition, social connections, outlet, time out, um, and um, social connections. So ultimately, you know, the evidence is really clear. Um, there are some very specific things that we can do to give us not only the energy reserves, but how that correlates to um, focus and concentration and our own self-esteem, our own self-worth. We see that in our career transition programs, by nudging those six cylinders, actually results in a 32% shift in overall well-being. So we know this. And um, the actual discipline is, again, building in the DNA of our day and keep, keep coming back to it and keep coming back to it and, and nudging some of those low scores. What we have found over the years is that if you're going to choose one, it's sleep. Mm. Sleep is the team leader of those six cylinders. Because we know that if your uh, sleep behaviours and your sleep hygiene is good, how it then flows through to how you metabolise food and how you show up with your friends and you've got energy for your outlets and, you know, everything is just a lot easier. Um, whereas if your sleep hygiene is challenging and those of us with young families will... I was going to say any advice for somebody <laughs> with a six-month-old. 
Well, people ask me this all a lot when we talk about sleep. And the thing about kids is they've got circadian rhythms too. So mm -hmm. anything we can do to build in consistency into our, into our sleep patterns. But when that breaks down, the impact it has on the way that we metabolize food and our mm -hmm. energy to do all the other things that we want to do um, is a lot more challenging. Um, so I'd, I'd probably, I'd start with sleep. I'd go into the six cylinders, but then we're looking at some of the the causality to some of those behaviours. There's you know models like the scarf model, which are just a really good, simple way of breaking down some of the threats and rewards that we all come across. Um, and it's one of those um, tools that I go through with every single leader that we coach to help them to understand well, what am I doing first off to reduce threat in the system, uh, to re reduce that limbic response. Uh, and then what can I do as a leader to then create the right environment for the dopamine and the oxytocin and, and the reward response? Mm. And I don't know about you, but I've found um, working, working on sort of with athletes and on the, on the kind of well-being side and on, on, um, on lifestyle, lifestyle habit change as well. And, and especially with leaders, actually engaging with <coughs> and changing these habits for themselves, not only can they show up more resourcefully, but the capacity for them to see, um, you know, where that's breaking down for other people and to help then guide their team in those respects as well increases because all of a sudden they're foregrounding um, health and they're foregrounding well-being um, and they're not expecting people to put in mammoth days. They're not asking people to sacrifice these things that are so foundational to, to well-being and performance um, at the, for the sake of you know, short-term um, short productivity or, or short-term output. So I think, you know, it, it yes, it serves the leader, but the um, the effect on the the leadership shadow there as well, um, both from a, their expectations and also from a role modeling perspective as well, uh, which I think is is something I think COVID has has taken in in lots of different respects. A um, uh, I think that's something that's taken a hit with remote work is is role modeling. Um, whereas once you know we might be in the same office together, and I'd see I'd see you doing some you know some healthy behaviors and going for a run at lunchtime and eating well and leaving on time. We don't necessarily have those optics now. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and that that can't be underestimated. One of the one of the elements we found in the um, the wellness research about organisations that are doing it well, um, the sponsorship from the executive mm. was part of it. But we took that to mean that you need your executive to be able to be talk about the program and sponsor the program and be enthusiastic about the program. It was actually somebody from Westpac that really challenged us on that. And they said, no, Gail Kelly is a great role model because mm. of the decisions that she makes in terms of looking after herself, mm. her well-being, and her family. So it's exactly like you said, it's going for the run. It's, it's you know, eating well. It's, it's prioritizing the right things. Not only because that helps me to be a better person and ultimately be a better leader, but the optics of that mm -hmm. for my immediate team and how that, how that flows down. So um, the third element to that I think is really important and that is calling it. And, you know, someone's working long hours mm. um, and, you know, having that badge of honour that I, you know, I worked really late. It's those leaders that don't let that slide mm. and they, they, they call it and they say, well, what's broken? What do you mean it's broken? I'm working really hard. I'm working really long hours. Well, it's either 
you don't have the capability to do the role that we're asking you to do in the hours that are provided or I'm not providing you with the resources and support for that to happen. 100%. So something's broken. So let's work together to resolve this 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 error in the system. Um, so those leaders that are, are really disciplined about that, not letting it go, because once you let it go, you've got you know a bit of expectation creep. And if it's okay once, it's okay twice, it becomes a pattern. Now we're dealing with a situation that it's a lot harder to unpack. And, and it fundamentally comes back to the concept of sustainability with a small s. So the, the, sustainable, the sustainability of an organization, because if the business model of an organization relies on you know, people working 80 hour weeks, um, that's not sustainable for the individual. The, indi the, the individual will eventually crack under that load and either, either, either leave, in which case you've lost a motivated, talented uh, individual, um, or the organization will be forced to be forced to sort of rectify that. But if the business model has come to rely on that to be profitable as a, as, as an entity, um, you've got real, real challenges. So, just just a, an existential level for an organization if if you can't operate in a capacity where your people can have a um you know a healthy work-life balance and and, and 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 you know bring that to the table then um i think organizations really need to be questioning that and we've seen um a lot of consultancy kind of come under that fire because the, you know the culture at some of those organizations is you you sacrifice yourself for the uh, <laughs> for the for the company and um yeah it's it's not not a great long-term trend and i think not only the organizations i think it happens at the leader level mm. those expectations are shifted at the leader level and what we've found this year is you know what we're incredibly adaptable when you force us to be um, so, you know, I'll give you an example. If an executive recently uh, called me up on a Friday and said, I'd, I'd like to book a session with you three o'clock Friday afternoon. I went, no way. Sun shining, I'm going to take Amber to Luna Park. Right? I'll be on the Ferris wheel. Mm. Not available. And in this example and all previous examples, there's no pushback. There's nobody that turns around and says, well, that's unreasonable. You're not mm -hmm. available exactly when I need you to be. Uh, you're fired as my coach. Mm. No, it's the opposite. Oh, that's great. Uh, you're role modeling to me what you're telling me I should be doing. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, we'll talk on Monday. It's perfectly fine. So it's those leaders that are doing the same to their staff to say, you know, this is how we do things. You know, we're going to prioritize family. We're gonna, I'm actually going to go for a run at that time. So mm. I'm not available to make that call. We'll adapt. We'll move around it and see how quickly then things start to sh shift when people staff look at that, optics of that, and say, okay, well, if they could do that, I can do that. And now we're talking about peer-to-peer -peer role modeling. So mm. then the whole thing starts to shift. But I believe it happens at the leader, the leader. It's th the organization's got a role to play, but it's the behavior of the leader that will ultimately uh, facilitate change. Mm. Um what are the um, sort of striking findings or stats came out of the, the report? That anything, anything that surprised you? Well, the, um, the big shock, I guess, for me in this first half that we've, we've released is that less than one in four leaders are getting support on how to manage a remote workforce. I don't... Yeah, wow. Yeah. Look, I don't think it can be disputed that this is a need. Um, that was shockingly low. Um, now, I, I, I'm not judging the three out of four organisations that are not providing that because I do believe that we're all doing our best. But I think if we can play a role in just highlighting that right now 
we need to be providing leaders with all of the support to navigate this unique environment. If we think ahead to 2021, um, again, nobody's got all the answers of exactly how this is going to play out. Um, but we need to be doubling down and, and sitting with our leaders and working out what they need uh, to be the best version of themselves and how to manage a remote workforce. And there's been so much, obviously, in the press about remote working and the link through on that and the pandemic in general, I guess, to mental health. And there's been quite a lot recently in terms of support on leaders on how to manage and know about basic mental health issues and how they support their staff in that area. Was there anything in your research from that perspective? Yeah, so the second half, which we're going to release, um, looks at the, uh, the organisational lens. Um, and we looked at how, what percentage of organisations are providing all of the things that we would envisage would be pretty fundamental. Mm. Um, like, you know, resilience and wellbeing programs, uh, like EAP, like mental health awareness training. Um, and it wasn't high enough. Yep. Um, 36.8% of organisations are providing resilience and wellbeing programs. Um, it's not zero, mm. it's a third, mm. but we'd see that that would need to be substantially higher heading into 2021. 23.5% um, of organisations are providing mental health awareness training. Mm. That's a gap, that's, that's a lag. Mm. Um, we can see that this year um, mental health um, concerns, mental health issues um, have become uh, prevalent. And I know it takes time for an organisation to work out what their approach is going to be, uh, but I would be saying that that is, that is a red flag. Um, but also only one in four employers uh, are developing their staff to adapt uh, to a new way of working. Mm. Um, so, look, yeah, they're, they're probably three areas that we would suggest are low. Um, and so if the sum is going to do anything... Uh, uh, outside of providing us with lots of wonderful vitamin D, hopefully it give give HR teams and executive teams a chance to stop, reflect, reset, mm. and just really double down on some of these things because we know uh, they're going to be uh, highly needed. And it's not just in a couple of things came up for me there. So, a there's a question which maybe we'll circle back to around um, embattled organisations. So. Uh, you know, playing devil's advocate, it's like, Christopher, we're an organization who we've been impacted by COVID. Our revenues are down by 50%. We, you know, we're, we're just trying to keep the lights on. You know, how can you expect us to invest in this, that, and the other? We're just, we're just trying to do the job. Um, and maybe we'll circle back around to that. But the, the, it's not just embattled companies that need to deal with this better. I saw, um, I saw on LinkedIn today something that was shared from Google. Somebody sent around an impromptu um, survey to to staff asking them how they'd been impacted by the you know the, the shift to remote working, um, and I can't remember the exact stat. I'll put it in the show notes. But but a shockingly high percentage of people felt their mental health had been negatively impacted by the move to remote working, and that's a resource rich organization that can can certainly afford to <laughs> to supply its employees with with training with equipment with um you know it's got the ways and means to do this right um but yeah w how would you how would you encourage uh, organizations that are struggling from a you know from a resource perspective to, to to think about this right now yeah and it's a um it's a thought process we come up uh with in crew transition a little bit too. Mm. Uh, we're going through a restructure. We know we want to look after the exiting employees, but look, you know, we're, we're really, the balance sheet is not in a great place. Mm. And so that's precipitated 
the need to restructure or to outsource it or to change the business model. So we don't feel that we have the funds left over to be able to invest in, in this. And the, and the same has, has come up this year. Look, we, we get it. Um, we get it philosophically, we get it emotionally, we get it psychologically, uh, but we can't see a way of releasing the funds and the investment to, 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 to do it, certainly at the depth that you're suggesting. I guess my first immediate response to this is, well, you can't really afford not to because not to support your people in some of these fundamentals around mental health um, and resilience and um, uh, the, le the leaders themselves, um, we can pretty accurately predict that the health of your balance sheet over the next 12 months is going to decline, not improve. Um, and so that's one way that we would have that conversation to say, look, if we want to help you to, to um, you know, be a healthy organisation and to have the healthiest balance sheet possible, um, then, yeah, there are some of these fundamentals that you can't afford not to invest in. Um, the second element, I think, is um, just changing the conversation about investment. You know, these things don't need to... Um, a lot of funds don't need to be necessarily deployed to get the right outcome. Mm. It's how do we facilitate the right environment for an organisation in themselves to have the right support structures, peer-to-peer, leader, peer-to-leader, internal communication. So it's not about the external expensive external consultant coming in and doing lots of teaching and education. Um, it's changing that conversation and mm. say, right, how can we empower you and inspire you to have the right connections internally of your own volition um, so ultimately we get to, to the right outcome. So I guess our approach is, is oriented towards the latter mm. um, rather than, you know, um, how do we get annuity, uh, how do we empower you to, to improve it as, as an organisation and, and, and take responsibility for these things um, as early as possible. The, probably the greatest resource um, pushback in terms of any leadership development program, I'm not sure if you found this as well, is the is the time of the people who are who are going to be engaging in it. It's not necessarily the external cost, but it's though you know we couldn't possibly take our leadership team out of action for specify the period of time <laughs> depending on the the tolerance of the organisation. Um, so you know from that perspective, if the organisations willing to prioritize this then to a large extent it is just okay we can can we take a step back can we you know can we spend this time with our people to find out what's what's necessary um and in terms of diagnosis so if, if i if i'm listening to this and i'm heading up an organization i'm suspecting that we've got some of these issues with our with our team um what would be the what would be a path you'd suggest for um, anybody to sort of dig into okay where, where where do we start basically in terms of identification and then then mitigation you know um all organizations already have access to lots of data mm. to lots of information um, that's always the starting point, you know. Um, rather than create a whole new survey and create a whole new model of diagnostics, um, every organisation is currently sitting on a wealth of information about human behaviour, about performance, about um, turnover, about, you know, um, how people are uh, thinking and behaving and in interacting. Um, so that's the starting point. Um, what do we currently know? Um, then, you know, talking to your local 
business psychologists about what, where, how do we fill those gaps with the, the diagnostics that we need um, to ultimately get a really good read for current state and aspirational future state. Um, that's ultimately what we want to be doing, right? Ha getting a really good understanding, not only of where we are now, but from our perspective, it's the specific behaviours that represent um, where we want to be as an organisation. And we talk about observable binary behaviours. So what are the things that we are going to see that represents that leader, that staff member, that executive, that board member, um, getting us on the path of, of where we want to be mm. aspirationally. On the reverse side of that, what are the anchors? What are the specific behaviours that we're going to see that clearly represents that old style of thinking that, that, that's going to, to hold us back? And with a clear definition of those two elements, uh, you're on to the third, which is what we call the critical moments. So what are the moments that are going to come up and is really going to delineate with, with someone's in column A, or column B. Mm. Um, now that gives us some pattern recognition because uh, you know these moments are going to come up and so it really gets you targeted around giving staff and leaders the tools and resources they need to be able to demonstrate the column A and to be able to unpack column B and understand why those behaviours might be holding us back. Um, and not only behaviours but also the, the mindsets. Mm. Um, but, you know, if you've got a good idea of the um, observable, observable behaviours which is going to represent your future state, the things that are going to hold you back and the moments that, uh, that are really going to define where, where, where you're moving forward or whether you're moving back, um, like I said, you know, mo all of that or most of that already exists in the mm. organisation. Mm. Um, so it's just either getting the right people internally or getting some support to be able to unlock that, define that and then have that as your charter. Any key takeaways mm. for organizations moving into 2021 sort of thinking about their strategic planning um they've, they've kind of heard this and it's resonated what would be the the one or two kind of headlines you'd encourage organizations and leaders to be thinking about look talk to your people mm. the answers exist um if you're constantly and consistently uh talking to your staff talking to your leaders about where they're at um check-ins or how they're going um, and what they need to be effective in 2021, mm -hmm. um, you know, the answers are there. Um, and don't ask once, don't do a survey and then, you know, build mm. some programs around that. You know, how do we consistently ask, how do we consistently get, um, you know, that, uh, that telemetry and those diagnostics? So we're constantly evolving what we're doing through 21 and beyond. Yeah, because... Um, we, I think we might be under a slight collective uh, kind of rose-tinted delusion that when the uh, calendar ticks over that the uh, world will be uh, reset to the... <laughs> to, to how Everything it was will in, be fine yeah, in 2021. Uh, but the uh, world shall be a, a continually evolving and interesting <laughs> interesting place. Um, a few closing uh, questions, uh, sort of standard fare, if, you, uh, if, you, if you're up for that. Yeah, d but j just on that. Yeah, um, sure. There was a, a, one of the most inspirational leaders that we work with um, months ago um, really just blew up this whole sort of what's going to be like post-COVID. Mm -hmm. What's the post-COVID world going to be? They said, no, nah, forget all that. This is it. Mm. This is now. Yeah, yeah, stop That's looking right. ahead. This is Focus it. Focus on yeah. now. Yeah. This is it. This is now. Not only to be present and mindful, but let's adapt now. And that was incredibly powerful because it basically took COVID off the table and mm -hmm. said, mm. regardless of what this virus chooses to do and regardless of the spikes that we may or may not see, we're going to not wait for that. We're going to adapt now. And this is us. How do we, how do we be 
um, you know, not only the best version of ourselves, but how do we get together and connect? And let's just the time is now, and uh, let's 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 do it. And and the, what that does to the energy of the group when you uh, largely resolve for a lot of the uncertainty that's going to come out next year, mm. incredibly powerful. And and I think a little bit of that, what was expected, I think, at the start of the pandemic and in a lot of kind of crisis management kind of thinking was that, that there'd be, you know, riots in the streets and looting and all the rest of it. And we don't have to look that far back in human history to know that under arguably more more extreme adverse situations, so we think about the Blitz in London, you know, the city's getting levelled on a daily basis. What did we see? We saw people coming together. We saw community. We saw camaraderie. We saw support. We saw um, coming to each other's aid. And I think the more we can engender that spirit um, as organisations, as which are part of a you know part of a broader broader society, um, I think that's the hopeful that's the hopeful message going not into 2021, not post-COVID right now, <laughs> as, the, as the message goes. Now I feel very excited and optimistic about that. But what are you guys seeing? in terms of, you know, those examples of people helping each other out and supporting each other and helping each other? Yeah, I guess lots, lots of it. Um, I think that was probably, from my perspective anyway, I saw more of it at the start of the pandemic. Mm. I think we've gone through kind of a collective grief cycle over how things used to be. So the sort of anger and depression and all the way through to I think we're starting to get to a collective acceptance that this is what life is like now um, and that's the nature of what happens with with any change so I feel like we're at a stage for me anyway to your point around this being now this being normal embracing it starting to accept it realize actually certainly in Australia we're in a pretty great position um, I think that's what that's what I'm seeing and it it, it yeah, the optics on organisations doing good and, and continuing to do good. Uh, I was thinking about what you were sharing before and I was thinking about it in terms of, you know, good old Maslow's hierarchy of needs and organisations who are that embattled organisation we talked about before who are just trying to, you know, they're in, they're in um, you know, lower order needs, survival. How do we keep the lights on? How do we, how do we continue to survive as an organisation? Um, they're not thinking about self-actualizing behavior. They're not, they're not thinking about what's my contribution. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to blame organisations in that station for that. But also I would still encourage organisations even at that, uh, who are in that position to look at the power of things like purpose, to look at the power of, of, of connecting people around something greater than themselves. Because at the end of the day, um, for non-purpose-led organizations, uh, individuals are going to find it a struggle. Individuals who are scared for their own jobs as well, you know, the, the, the people who are part of their organizations, um, are not necessarily going to be motivated around the existential survival of an organization which isn't motivated around anything but its own survival. So, you know, altruism becomes this um, self-reinforcing, self-actualizing um, survival mechanism for organizations and its people. So the encouragement for from me for organizations, I know this is not necessarily answering the question, but for organizations who, who are perhaps feeling embattled is to look for opportunities to build to build greater purpose into into the into how they're operating. Um, yeah. And we heard that a lot from leaders, haven't we, in the mm. last few months, which is especially like especially at the moment, 
it has to be about more than just business as usual. And I suspect that's why innovation came up so mm. strongly in your research, mm. which is people sitting in front of their computers, business as usual, starting to feel really monotonous. We have to give our people something more. There has to be more than just the number. There has to be more than just making money. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's why innovation, that's why purpose have become even more important. Absolutely. And I, and I think there's a, an individual lens to that as well. Um, we, we saw early in the pandemic that, you know, there was every, every example of a, a challenge. There was an example of somebody doing something, you know, randomly nice or doing something to connect or doing something to reach out. We're good at this. As a species, we're good at this. We're a social species. Um, you know, we're built to connect and, and, and to help out. Um, as that fatigue sort of kicked in, that, that's dropped off a little bit. But it was one of our early sort of coach catch-ups um, we were just sort of connecting and, and being really honest with how we were feeling and, mm. and, and, and how it was breaking down for us. Um, and this came up, you know, this opportunity to just randomly today go out and just do something kind, do something mm. nice. Um, I went next door um, to the, there's an elderly couple next door and just went in and, and did some DIY and did some bits around the house. Mm. Um, so I think there is an invitation uh, to acknowledge that we're, we're built for this, we're good at it, um, and then what would happen if you know you just reach out over the next day or so, and 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 do something good, do something nice, uh, do something unexpected, mm. um, and then what does that do for how you view yourself, and you know that 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 self view, and what does that do to the the dopamine, the oxytocin in your 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 system? So I think yeah, definitely there's an organisational uh, role to play to give that staff group something more than the balance sheet to aspire to um, and to connect with. But ultimately, you know, there's a very strong uh, individual component to that. Mm. Great. Love it. And do more good yeah yeah absolutely and and the acknowledgement that one, one thing we always encourage organizations to foster is it's it's top up it's top down and it's bottom up so you know if you're a purpose driven in individual in an organization that's not necessarily um actualizing its its potential then bring that to the table you know it it, it might be absolutely welcome with open arms that that you know you're bringing something that's you're passionate about that others can rally around and and um and and almost uh you know it, it's organic as well as opposed to just being sometimes the you know the mandated initi initiatives that come from you know the csr team and organizations while laudable and admirable um, don't necessarily resonate with everybody um, especially in larger organizations so and that and that's spot on and what i would encourage your your listeners to have a think about is rather than just top down then what are you doing to orient the 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 empathy up mm. um you know what are you doing to to reach out to your leader and to their leader and yeah. to the executives saying hey god you know this must be challenging for you how are you going yeah um, what, what, what can we do to have that conversation around, you know, how are you, how you need your reserves, how's your sleep? Mm. You know, it doesn't just happen down or across, it's 360. Mm. Um, mm. But it's often the, the wellness up, the empathy up, yeah. uh, the yeah. good up that, um, that sometimes gets missed or forgotten. Um, who do you admire as a, like, who are you seeing as an organisation or an individual who's been doing great things of, of late? Oh, uh, look, it, it, it's a topical response, most probably given that the Cynic conference was last week. Mm. Um, but look, he has had a huge impact on, on myself as a business person, mm. um, but also as a husband, as a father, as a friend. Um, 
starting right back with the start with why stuff mm. and, and, and helping me to think about what I do in my career and, and what Alchemy is actually about, not in terms of growth and not in terms of revenue, but, you know, that core of helping people. So when you asked me that question earlier, my response to you was very much written around the the golden circle mm. and, and starting with purpose, starting with why, um, but then also through to, you know, the, the, the infinite game and, and helping, book. absolutely, you know, and, and helping people going through career transition to think beyond the finite, um, you know, objective of getting a job or what's the, what's the broader piece here? What do you want with the next phase of look to look like and what's important to you? And getting leaders to uh, not just be thinking about the short-termism of the quarterly result and when, what do you stand for and, you know, what's, what's, what does why mean to you and what does purpose mean to you and what is your just cause? But also in the complexity, you know, how that, you know, helps us to break down something which might seem complex and follow the com and create the the uh, the, the simplicity mm. does this help us to advance our just cause so in our case you know complex business decisions become a little bit easier because does this allow us to help more people mm. or to help help people more deeply mm -hmm. yes no okay so it, it allows us to cut through you know a lot of those other variables and get right to the core of does this help us to advance our just cause or not so mm. he would be um you know probably the the, the the most um powerful example of um of, of an influencer what obsessions do you explore on the evenings or weekends outside of work what do you love oh look it's, it's cooking um but it's end to end you know i love i love thinking about you know um what's the weather going to be like and you know putting a few dishes together getting down to the fish markets or to the local markets and you know talking to the people and buying the produce and taking the kids down and you know feeling it and touching it and, and smelling it and um, bring it home and one thing my wife has really helped me with um, is to not think about the pace of making the food mm. you know I, I worked in restaurants going through university it was always you've got to get the plates out mm. but Lee's helped me to just stop relax grab a glass of wine put some music on and uh, it's going to take some time. And that could be Sunday afternoon. Mm. And uh, dishes might come out every so often. And uh, so we'll graze through the afternoon. But then there's this moment where we've got a, sort of a big wood table at home and full of friends and full of noise. And I, in fact, get a little emotional just thinking about it. It sounds beautiful. Um, <laughs> you know, just full of platters. And then that moment where you get to sit down... Uh, and share this with um, friends and family. I mean, that's just, that's everything. Mm. Pretty perfect. That's awesome. Um, I, uh, just sort of speaks to me, like the ultimate purpose of business is, is kind of that, right? Like at a metaphorical level, like we all get to sit down, like, is that too much? <laughs> <laughs> Getting laughed at here. But, you know, at uh, a metaphorical level, we all get to sit down at the table and enjoy the fruits of, of working together and coming together and, and kind of and sharing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And, and one of the things I've really enjoyed as the g uh, girls get older is that they'll get involved in different, yeah. different parts of it, particularly this, this, when we do a seafood paella and, you know, the ha handling the fish and cleaning the, the squid and yeah. getting messy and and um you know it's just it's just a joy so um yeah that's what i spent my weekends doing perfect um any causes or, or um you know uh, um, organizations that you're particularly passionate about you'd like to direct the listeners attention to or give it a shout out to yeah, so the causes I get involved in um, have typically been oriented around children. Mm. Um, so uh, the Starlight Foundation, um, uh, just just a wonderful organisation, um, but also a, a um, 
an orphanage in Mexico uh, called Mission Mexico. Um, and so, I, you know, I think it's just really important that we, um, you know, dedicate part of our pursuits to making sure that, you know, children across the world are, are, are not only looked after but educated and safe. Um, recently, I have been concerned about uh, the level of random violence, mm. um, definitely pre-COVID, and uh, so I'm on the board of uh, uh, the Coward's Punch Foundation, which is Danny Green's um, foundation, um, and I think it's just important work for us to work with venues and work with, um, uh, you know, um, producers to understand um, why this happens mm. and we're doing some research with the victorian institute of forensic medicine to just really understand you know what are the precursors and what role can we play in terms of educating um you know um young and um and older people uh around uh, events and how to de-escalate events um to make sure that these uh, you know random acts of violence uh, or these cowards punches uh, just get completely removed from um, you know from our society so worthy causes we'll link those in the in the show notes for sure thank you so next question on a personal level what's the biggest change you've made towards more sustainable living ah well lots of little things mm. but recently um, putting a, a spring crop in and um, making our own food Mm. Um, you know, we've got 12 different types of lettuces. I built a Amazing. greenhouse. Um, so you've got, uh, I mean, we must have 30-odd um, lettuces, fruits and vegetables and, and um, herbs uh, of, of every kind. Um, and we do that for a number of reasons, not only because it's more sustainable um, and, you know, worm farms and all mm, of that, mm. um, but also it's just a joy mm. to get out and snip a salad or, you know, a couple of herbs for a ragu or something. So, um, you know, the whole paddock to plate, um, you know, we're definitely doing our bit to um, uh, to live a sustainable life. Amazing. That's awesome. Christopher, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your sharing your research and your, your wisdom and your insights and um, it was a great conversation. Um, where can people find you if they um, you know if they want to want to reach out and also any I guess final thoughts or parting words for the audience? Yeah and no, I'd, I'd love to you know have a chat to your audience about any of the topics that we've, we've talked about. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn's always a great a great place because it, you know the research is up there and uh, and 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 some tools and resources are up there. So I'd say that'd be a place to start because from there you can click onto the website. We built a COVID page um, with just a whole suite of resources for individuals working from home, leaders leading remotely. Um, if your role's at risk, but also those needing a little bit of extra support from a mental health perspective. Mm. So we come across lots of really valuable information uh, and rather than hold it we want to be able to open share it so um, so yeah um, connect with myself and, and and be able to connect through that uh, as well um, I guess uh, the, the final thought would be um, you know just for every individual in the audience to take some time to just stop reflect and make some of those nudges about what can you be doing uh, to make sure you're caring for yourself and you're giving yourself that self-care and that self-love. Um, self-care is not selfish. And we constantly use an, an analogy of the safety demonstration in an aeroplane mm. where in the unlikely event of a catastrophic failure of the aircraft, gas masks will deploy. 
and the instructions are to look after yourself before the defenceless child sitting next to you. And the mm. first time I saw that on the little cartoon card, I, I, I thought, how could you do that? That's so selfish. <laughs> but then the logic of that very quickly kicks in because unless we're getting the oxygen, we're going to be useless to be able to help others. And I think that's an important sort of metaphor, not only for this moment mm. in our community, um, but for all moments. Um, make sure that you're getting the oxygen so that you can be there to help and support uh, your friends, your family, your partner, your kids, your staff, your business. Uh, but ultimately, it starts with yourself. Beautiful. And uh, leading into um, Christmas holidays shortly when this episode will be released, I think that's perfect time for people to sit back and reflect and, and you know, put their, put their ox oxygen mask on. Awesome. Uh, well, Christopher, thank you again. Really grateful for your, uh, for your time. Um, and thank you, audience, for um, listening. And until next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community. Music